Hey, I, I need a volunteer as I get uh, started here this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Erica, you want to come up here for a second? Come here. You didn't really volunteer, but I volunteered you. So um, I'm going to spin the globe of the world, you know, the whole world on here. Okay. And, uh, well, you know that. You go to Mariners, so you know that, right? So um, I'm going to spin this. I want you to point to a place in the world that God doesn't love. Okay? Is there any? Okay, how about this time? I I want you uh, to point to a place in the world that God wouldn't want them to know about Jesus. Oh, there's one. Okay, good. You go sit down. I'm glad you didn't point to anything. Now, that seems like a really silly exercise, doesn't it? And, And mentally, we would all answer the question that God loves the whole world, right? But, but, when it comes to our attitude and our actions, do they really demonstrate that we believe that God loves the whole world? For example, parents, if your son or daughter came to you this afternoon and said, you know, I think God is really calling me to go to Afghanistan and tell the people there the story of Jesus, how would you respond to that? If a young man or woman when they're, after they have graduated, decides they want to enter the military, there is a little bit of us that has fear for them, but our overwhelming response most of the time is, that's great, we're so proud of you for wanting to go serve our country. But if the same young man or woman comes and says, I think I'm being called to go to Iraq and tell Muslims the story of Jesus, we're not so quick to respond eagerly, are we? I mean, if we're honest, we kind of want to talk them out. We want to say things like, do you know how dangerous that is? Are you sure you really want to go someplace like that? I'm not sure we're always fully convinced in attitude and in action that God loves the whole world. We started a series last week called Radical, and we're exploring together what uh, this radical life looks like that Jesus has called his uh, followers to. It's some challenging stuff that we're doing. And uh, I told you last week, uh, I'm encouraging you to read this book called uh, Radical, and if you haven't already gotten a copy, I want to encourage you to go online this week, get one ordered, and join us in reading this book. It's, it's great stuff. A lot of us are reading it. And I think it will challenge you and really be a good companion to what we're talking about here. We started last week trying to lay a foundation. And I started last week by talking about the African Impala, the animal, not the Chevy. And we said last week it can jump like 13 feet in the air and it can jump 30 feet out. Incredible what it can do. But a lot of zoos contain them with just a three-foot wall because... An African impala will not jump where it can't see. And a lot of us are living life behind a wall because we are afraid or unwilling to jump into the life that Jesus has really called us uh, to live. And we're exploring what that's all about. We said last week there are two questions that we have to wrestle around with when it comes to this whole issue. Uh, The first is, do I believe Jesus? Do I simply believe what He says and promises to be true? And secondly, am I willing to obey Jesus? Am I willing to do what He says? And so as promised today, I want to begin to examine what it really looks like to live this radical life in some practical terms. And part of living a radical life is having a heart for the whole world. In fact, one of the final instructions that Jesus gave to His followers before He left earth was a very radical instruction. Jesus said this to His followers and to us. He said, so go, notice that word, go and make 
followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have to ask when we read that question, do I believe Jesus? When He says, I want you to go and I want all the people of the world to be followers. I want them to have that opportunity. Do I believe Him? And secondly, am I willing to obey Him? What's my part in making sure that the whole world has an opportunity to know Jesus? I read an interesting quote this week that I think has application to today and to everything we're doing in this radical series. It's by Pete Wilson, who is the pastor of a rapidly growing church in Nashville. It also happens to be called Crosspoint. Uh, he, he says this, so the problem for so many of us is we want our dreams more than we want God. We want our life to turn out the way we want it to turn out more than we're willing to trust Him with our lives. We trust Him with our eternity, but we don't trust Him with our lives here on this earth. And there's some truth, isn't there? Of the nearly 7 billion people who live on the face of the earth today, do you know that some 4.5 billion of them are living their lives without Jesus. And even sadder than that, nearly a billion people on the face of the earth today have never heard the name of Jesus. Now what happens to those people when they die? And I want to try to answer that question today. Uh, and to answer that question, I want to take a, a short journey through the book of Romans. And I want us to listen to what the Bible says. Not what I say, not what the church says, not what somebody else's opinion is. I want us to just honestly look at what the Bible says the answer to that question really is. And it has implications for this whole idea of having a heart for the world. And so as we take this journey today, I want to uh, teach a little theology. Okay, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Uh, but we'll, we'll tackle that together. And then I want to make some practical applications. Um, about what this means for our, a radical life. So I hope you brought your Bibles today. Uh, I want you to follow along today as much as ever. So uh, take them out, open them up. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans is in the New Testament part of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then the book of Romans. And we're going to be right there in uh, chapter 1. Uh, Paul is a deep thinker. He's the writer of this. And he writes some deep things. And uh, I'm going to take this in some big chunks today. And a lot of times as I try to look at Scripture, we try to explain it in sort of detail. But today we're going to take some, some big looks at it and uh, kind of explain it in big chunks, okay? So uh, hang with me here. Romans uh, chapter 1, let's uh, start in verse 18. Here's what Paul says. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Okay, first lesson here from what the Bible says, what Paul writes. He says that God has been clearly and continually revealing Himself to all people, to the whole world. That every person on the face of the earth, every person throughout history, without exception, 
has the opportunity to know God because God has been revealing Himself to them. And so the, the man who lives in a remote jungle in Africa and a young woman who lives in a small village in Asia and a gypsy who lives in Bulgaria all have this in common. God has clearly revealed Himself to them. They have the opportunity to know God. Now let's continue in our little journey through Romans. Move over to chapter 3, verse 10. He, he quotes some verses from the Old Testament here in the first part of chapter 3, verse 10 and following. And he writes this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then he lists some sins. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced. And then notice this next part. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Now, here's some good news wrapped in all of this in verse 22. This righteousness comes from God. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. There is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul takes the, the first three chapters of the book of Romans to make a case for the sinfulness of men. He says we are all guilty of sin, regardless of nation, tongue, language, culture, that we are all guilty of sin. That we have all committed sin in our lives and we all stand guilty before a holy God. And there is nothing that I can do on my own, on my own effort, to make up for that sin. There is no amount of good that I can try to do in my life that overcomes my sin. We are all guilty of sin. And uh, that makes us uncomfortable, maybe. But Paul says that's, that's the reality. It's the reality for me, and it's the reality for any person on the face of the earth. We are guilty of sin. Now, sometimes people ask the question, well, what about the innocent guy who lives in the remote jungle of Africa? Uh, surely, God doesn't hold him accountable for his sin. Well, the first part of the answer to that question is, according to what Paul says, there is no innocent guy in the remote jungle of Africa. According to what Paul says, the Bible says, not me, the Bible, they are guilty of sin. And they are held accountable for that sin. I've heard people say, well, what if they'd never heard the, the story of Jesus? Certainly they would go to heaven, right? And if you follow that line of thinking, suppose a, uh, a young girl comes from a gypsy village in Bulgaria to become a student at Florida Gulf Coast University. And you happen to bump into her her first day at class there. And in the conversation, you quickly realize this girl has never heard anything about Jesus. 
And if that line of thinking is that true, that as long as she's never heard anything about Jesus, she'll go to heaven, then you know what the best advice you could give her would be? You ought to tell her, if anybody tries to tell you about Jesus, you put your, ears, your hands over your ears, scream loudly, and run as fast as you can in the other direction. But you see, that's not what Paul teaches here. What Paul says here in the Bible is that she is accountable before God because she is guilty of sin. And she needs to know the rest of the story. And the rest of the story continues in verse 24. And here's what Paul says there. He says, we are justified freely by His grace. That's by God's grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We can be redeemed through Jesus. Verse 25. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, the sins that happened before Jesus came. And He did it to demonstrate His justice as the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, what's he saying there? Well, this is the good news. What Paul says here is he reminds us that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sins. And through Jesus' death on the cross, our lives have been can be redeemed. We can be saved. We can be assured of a relationship with God. We can be assured of spending eternal life with heaven. There is a way of salvation. There is only one way, but there is a way of salvation, and it is through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. And that good news is true for anybody on the face of the earth. Through Jesus, there is the opportunity for salvation. Through Jesus, our sins can be taken care of. Now, the journey continues if you'll flip over to Romans chapter 10. Because there is one more step in this whole process in God's plan for the world. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. And then he says this in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There it is. That's God's plan for making sure that every person on the face of the earth has an opportunity to hear the story of Jesus, has an opportunity for salvation. He actually does it in reverse order. But let's take a look at what he outlines there for us. He, he starts, or his process starts by saying that God sends people. That's the first step in his plan. He sends people. And when these people go, they preach. Which, that sounds maybe scary, but simply what he's talking about, they tell the story of Jesus. They, they tell the Gospel. Which is the story of Jesus. He says that as they, as they preach, there will be those people will hear. As they share the story of Jesus, people will hear the story. And among those who hear, there will be those who believe. Now, he doesn't indicate that everyone will believe, but many will believe. That's God's plan for reaching somebody in the remotest part of the earth. If someone goes 
and tells the story of Jesus and they hear it, many will believe. God wants people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to have that opportunity. In fact, there's a great picture that is painted for us in the book of Revelation about what it's going to look like in heaven. And there it describes that before the throne of Christ will be people of every tribe, tongue, nation. People from all over the world, from the remotest parts of the earth, will be gathered there before the throne of Christ. That is God's heart and that is God's plan. There's two more steps in this process and I didn't leave myself room. He says that those who believe, they will call on Jesus. And everyone who calls, he says, will be saved. See, that is God's plan. But when you, when you look at it, where, where's the opportunity for this process to break down? Where is the weak link in this chain? You know where it is? It's right here at the top. We are often the weak link in the chain because we fail to realize our responsibility to go and to tell the story. And we maybe sometimes think, well, that's somebody else's thing. Somebody else is called to do that. That doesn't seem to be what the Bible indicates. When Jesus called His followers to go and to tell people, He didn't seem to say, well, it's only certain people. He indicated that was a responsibility for everyone to go and to tell. If you ask the average Christ follower in the average church in America, churches like this, if you ask them, what is the the message of Christianity? Most people would respond with something like this. They would say, well, the message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or maybe they would say, the message of Christianity is that God loves me so much that Jesus died on the cross. But who is the object of that message of Christianity? Me. And that may sound like that's biblical Christianity, but that is not biblical Christianity. That is not the message of biblical Christianity because the focus is on me. But you know what? That's, that's in a form of American Christianity that we have bought into. We bought into this form of American Christianity that says, I'm going to pick what church I go to based on whether or not the, the music fits me or the programs fit my family. I'm going to choose my career based on whether or not it best suits me and my family. I'm going to pick my clothes and my car and the house I live in based on what best fits me. But that's not biblical Christianity. You see, the message of biblical Christianity is this. God loves me so that I can share His love and tell other people and make His name known to other people. The object of biblical Christianity is not me. The object of biblical Christianity is God. And God's name being increased. His fame being increased around the world. God has poured grace and salvation into our lives, not just so that we can have it, but so that we can be a conduit of that grace and that salvation to other people. You see, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is there this idea that missions, as we would think about reaching people, that's the term we often use, that missions is an optional program of the church. 
That's not painted there anywhere. Someone who is living a radical life, someone who is living the life that Jesus has called us to will understand that all of us were called to have a heart for the world. It is the responsibility of everyone. So let me tell you about some radical lives that I know of that maybe will help us then sort of understand, so what does that mean for me? How do I live that out? Are you saying, Jeff, that all of us should move to Africa and tell people? Not necessarily. But let me try to explain it through some lies. Let me tell you about people a lot of you know, Dave and Mara Pickering. Dave and Mara, just maybe about three years ago, I think now, moved their family to Bulgaria. And uh, they are now living in the southern part of the country. And uh, they are specifically focusing on reaching uh, Turkish Muslims. Very, very challenging thing that they've taken up. Dave and Mara felt the call that they needed to actually go and try to reach people with the story of Jesus. And you know what? I, I am guessing that in this room this morning, there are other people, if we were really listening to God, that ought to go. That God would call you to pick up your family and move to some other part of the world where people have never heard the story of Jesus so that you can tell it. I know that sounds radical, but there are probably people in this room that ought to go. In a few weeks, uh, Jim and Nancy Redeker and their son Randy are headed on a short-term medical mission trip to El Salvador. And they're going to go tell the story of Jesus by serving the medical needs of people in El Salvador. I'm pretty convinced that during our lifetime as Christ followers, all of us ought to find a time where we make a trip outside of our country to share the story of Jesus. We ought to, ought to do that. I know, that sounds radical, doesn't it? But why wouldn't all of us take the opportunity at some point to go and experience that? To have the opportunity to share the story of Jesus. And all of us ought to be looking for an opportunity in the future to do that. For some of us, the radical part of living this out, the God's call, is that we ought to be involved financially. And that's why Crosspoint gives you know, 15% of everything that was given this morning in the offering, 15% of that will go to global outreach, to missions. And that's why all of us ought to be living out the, the responsibility that God has given us to give financially here. You know, God has asked all of us who are Christ followers to give 10% of our income as a starting point. And part of the reason that He asked us to be obedient that way is because it's the church design that we would take some of that money and we would use it to reach out around the world. Now, for Peg and I, we, we have grown beyond giving that here locally to the church. And even beyond that, we have picked out some people that God called to go and we are supporting them directly because we understand we have a responsibility for the whole world. For some... This radical call will involve sending. You know what, parents? Some of our students are maybe in this room right now. God may call them to go to challenging places to share the story of Jesus. And when that happens, rather than us lamenting and feeling some sense of loss, we ought to celebrate and encourage them to go. And there are students in this room right now 
that God might call you to go and challenge you to go to some difficult place in the world to share the story of Jesus. And if He does, I challenge you to go, to listen to His call, and to respond. That would be living a radical life. But that's the kind of life that Jesus has called us to. And the starting place for all of us when it comes to having a heart for the world is we, ought to all, ought to, we all ought to be praying for some part of the world that has never heard the story of Jesus. And you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't even know where that would be. Let me tell you how to find out. And I don't have time to go into all the details about this. But if you'll go to Google and Google uh, the 1040 window, 10 slash 40 window, and uh, you'll find some good websites there. And you can go on and read about the, what the 1040 window is. And as you read about that, you will find some places identified that have never heard the story of Jesus. And if you're doing nothing else, you ought to at least be praying every day that God would send somebody to reach that part of the world. I mean, can I just be honest here and tell you, if you won't at least pray about the whole world, there is something wrong with your heart. And you are not living a radical life. I mean, that is just a starting place for all of us to ask God to grow our hearts for the world. You see, we have to ask, do I believe Jesus? When He said, I want you to go, I want you to have care about the world, do I really believe Him? Secondly, am I willing to obey? And that may mean going. I believe for all of us it means praying. I mean for all of us, I believe for all of us it means supporting financially. I believe for all of us it means taking a short term trip at some point. It may mean sending your children. Do I believe? Am I willing to obey? John Courier. And 1949 was convicted of the crime of murder and was sent to uh, jail. After he had served some time in prison, and I couldn't find all the details on this story, but somehow there was some other evidence came along that put into question his conviction for that murder charge. And so arrangements were made for him to have a, a form of parole. He was actually taken by a wealthy farmer and placed on his farm as a worker, and he couldn't leave that farm. As time went along, after he had worked on the farm for a while, more evidence was found and they determined that his conviction was wrong and so it was overturned and he was set free. A letter was written to him, to John Currier, a man who could not read or write. The letter had landed in the hands of the farmer that he worked for, but that information about his freedom was never passed on to John Currier. The farmer, the wealthy farmer, eventually died and somehow a parole officer found out that John was still living on that farm and had no idea that he had been set free. Finally, word was given to him that ten years after the original letter had been written, John Currier found out that he had been granted freedom. Can you imagine how he must have felt knowing that somebody had the news that would have set him free but they had never told him. Can you imagine how somebody in some other part of the world would feel if they knew this morning that we had the message that would set them free from the burden of their sins and give them hope like they had never experienced before and we weren't willing 
to do what we can to share that news and to set them free. Paul ends that section in Romans that we read by saying, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I hope we have beautiful feet because that's part of living a radical life. Would you pray with me? God, this challenges me because there have been times in my life that mentally I would have said I cared about the whole world but my heart wouldn't have matched up with that. And I thank You for the transformation that's taken place in my life over the last 10 years. God, today I am someone who not only knows it mentally, but it's in my heart too. God, I pray for that transformation to take place for every person in this room today. God, we we want to live the radical life that Jesus has called called us to. God, we want to jump over the wall and into the life that You've called us to. And God, I think this is one of the steps. So would you help us today to take it and to love the world the way that you do. And God, to be bold enough that if you'd call us to do something radical, that God, we'd have the courage to do it. In Jesus' precious name I pray.